Take your Bibles, if you would, turn to Philippians chapter 1. Last Sunday, we began a uh, summer series entitled Joyride. This is going to take us through the book of Philippians, kind of kind of section by section, paragraph by paragraph, if you will. Uh, we call it the Joyride because Philippians is known as the, the happy epistle. It is the letter that Paul wrote with just an incredible sense of joy as he wrote to the Christians in the city of Philippi, a church that he helped start and helped build a church that he is very familiar with, a church he's had a relationship with, though he was only there for a few years each time, but he, he had a relationship over 10 years with them by the time he wrote this letter. But 14 times in the book of Philippians, Paul refers to joy or rejoicing. And so we call it that happy letter that Paul wrote. And he talks about the, the joy that comes in the Lord. Now, all of this keeping in mind that... Uh, Paul wrote this letter from house arrest, shackled to a Roman guard 24-7 for, for more than two years, and yet he could write with such joy. And so we're, we're, we're learning. How many of you know right now, man, we just need a good dose of joy? I, uh, man, I don't know about you, but it's hard to fight frustration. <laughs> it's hard to fight some of the the discouragement and all, and, and we just need joy. And so I, I think that... Uh, God's got us in this book to, to help us get our joy and keep our joy in the midst. So today, we're titling today's teaching, uh, Joy in Adverse Times. And obviously, we live in some very adverse times, and, and our joy can be robbed from us. You know, it's been said that uh, uh, if you can smile when everything's going wrong, you're either a nitwit or a repairman. And I trust I'm neither one. Well, I know I'm not the repairman. And I trust I'm not a nitwit. But I would say that as believers in Christ Jesus, filled with his spirit, we have joy in the midst of adversity. It is a part of the fruit of the product of the activity of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Love, Paul said, is fruit of the spirit. Joy is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. So we have joy, and we can maintain our joy uh, regardless of circumstances. Let me define joy for you again. We did this last week. It's different than happiness. Here's what joy is. Joy is a God-given sense of satisfaction regardless of your circumstances. Regardless of the adversity around you, God has given to you through His Holy Spirit a sense of well-being, a sense of contentment, a sense that... All is well. We have in the past sang the wonderful hymn, It is well. It is well with my soul. That comes from the joy of the Lord that is in a believer's life. So Paul's being hit from all sides. He's got problems. He's got people issues. He's got people that don't like him. In fact, he's under that house arrest because Jews wanted to uh, kill him because he had supposedly taken a Gentile into the holy temple. The reason he's in house arrest is the Romans came along and rescued him from that demise and said, well, if he's causing this kind of trouble, let's lock him up. But because he was a Roman citizen, he was treated somewhat fairly, and so they put him under house arrest. He couldn't come and go as he pleased, but he had a desk, and he, he had a bed, and he had, a, he had a, a place to be, but he was constantly chained to a Roman guard. 
And yet he writes about his joy in this adversity. So last week we finished up with verse 11. We're going to pick up with verse 12 this morning. And we're going to look at how we can have joy in adverse times such as even this right now. So we pick up in verse 12. Paul says this. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, again he's writing to Christians, that what has happened to me has actually, everybody say actually, has actually advanced the gospel. We're going to come back to that word in just a moment, but Paul is realizing that what his original thought of his life and ministry would be after coming to Christ looks totally different. But he's starting to settle into the understanding that maybe this is exactly what the Lord has intended. So the first truth about maintaining your joy in adversity is this. Joy is related to your perspective. Your joy is related to the perspective you have, to the focus that you have. Paul is experiencing adversities. The Jews have tried to kill him. The Romans rescued him, but then they locked him up in house arrest. And yet he has this incredible joy. And he says these words. He says, actually. Actually, and so he's saying this. Actually, this is not working out too bad. Things are working out better than I originally thought they might. Yeah, I can't go preach and I can't go start churches and I can't disciple new leaders for the leadership of these churches I've started. But this isn't going too bad because people are getting saved. So he gets a perspective that he won't be able to preach to crowds anymore, but he can sure take a pen and and, and paper and they've supplied it to him and he can write these letters of hope and instruction and correction and direction to the churches. So he says, actually, it's, it's working out pretty well. You see, it's a matter of perspective. There were other guys in Roman prisons and under Roman house arrest that might not have had such a jovial spirit about them because of their perspective. So let's say that you go on a trip to the Grand Canyon. And you pull out your lawn chair, and you get your iced tea, and hopefully an umbrella, because it's on one side of that place, it's very, very hot. And you sit down, and you just take in all the beauty of that huge hole in the ground called the Grand Canyon. And you're just taking it all in, and you're even rejoicing. Man, God, what an incredible, creative God you are. And you're turning it into a worship moment, and some guy pulls up in his big old beat-up, yellow and beige, 1970 Winnebago, spewing fumes out the back end, rattling as it pulls up, and he screeches and parks it right in front of you. So your view has changed. Now all you see of God's creation is this beat-up 1970 Winnebago. You don't see the grandeur on the other side. Now, you can do a couple of things now in this moment. You can get mad and angry at the driver. You can curse his demise. You can complain about the colors and the faded gold or brownish or yellowish, orangish color of the Winnebago. You can uh, just keep sitting there. Or you could pick up your chair and move it to another place and get your perspective back. If you want to see the Winnebago, stay right.
where you are, but if you really want to get back to the grandeur of what God is and what he's done, you're going to have to move your chair. You're going to have to get another perspective. And so Paul has a, a different perspective from probably when he went into this house arrest. Doesn't look like the ministry he thought he was going to have, but, but God's actually doing something in the middle of it. The secret to joy and adversity is to change your focus. It's to change your focus. So when James says, look, consider it pure joy when you suffer trials of many kinds, we can't wrap our minds around that. How do you have joy in the middle of adversity? It's all on how you look at it. Are you seeing the Winnebago? Or are you seeing the grandeur of God? Even in the middle of the adversity. What's God doing? James says, look, you, you can have this joy because you realize these things are happening now. These things, your faith, your, your hope, all these things are going to be changed in the middle of this. So the secret to joy and adversity is to change your focus. Your experience in any moment or time of adversity is going to be determined by your perspective. Your experience will be determined by how you see the adversity, the situation. If you see it as a personal attack, you're going to get defensive. If you see it as a nuisance, you're going to get frustrated and angry. If you see it as somebody else's fault or pressing on you, you're going to become bitter. Or if you choose to move your seat and touch a position that you could see God in the middle of it, you're going to find peace. You're going to find joy. You're going to find hope. It's all in perspective. So Paul says, he identifies, he, he illustrates for us and he exemplifies for us that joy is going to be found in my perspective. Let's pick up in verse 13 now and look at the second key. So he goes on and he says, so that it has become known throughout the entire imperial guard. Now I want you to remember the imperial guard. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. And to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Paul knows that he's only there because he is a servant of Jesus Christ. The second element of this joy in adverse times is this. Joy is related to purpose. It's related to God's purpose and our willingness to align with his purpose. Joy is related to purpose. So Paul says this, look, I'm only in chains because I'm in Christ Jesus. I preach Christ, I live Christ, I worship Christ, I'm striving to the best of my ability to work out my salvation, and I land here. Jesus must have some purpose, because I, I don't think I've offended him. I don't think I've done anything wrong and worthy of being in prison. The only thing I can realize is that I'm in prison because of Christ. So he has a purpose. So Paul's got a perspective about all of this, and he sees that it includes the purpose of Jesus in this moment of his life. It's not, his, it's not Paul's purpose. It's not how Paul would have written these latter years of his life and ministry. But he certainly knows Jesus has something going in this moment. Paul has joy because he's not stressed. And you know why he's not stressed in this adversity? 
He's not pushing back against God. You want to lose your joy? Make it your life ambition to push back against God's will for your life. You'll be stressed. You will eventually become broken. Pushing back against God's will in your life robs you of joy. Paul was so surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ that if Jesus said, Paul, you've taken up your cross, you've chosen to follow me, I want you to follow me into this jail. And I want you to find joy in this place because I'm going to do some things from here that I couldn't do otherwise. Are you willing to let me put you there? Now, if you've done what Jesus asked all of us to do, pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow him, that's not an issue because when he's truly Lord of our lives, we say, Jesus, your will be done, not mine. But where I get stressed is when I start pushing back. I don't see Paul putting up a fight. I don't know. We don't, we, don't, we don't get the whole picture of when those guards walked up into that crowd and pulled him out of that crowd. But as many times as Paul was beaten, as many times as he was persecuted, and as many nights in, in and out of jail that he spent, I just don't see Paul fighting that. I see it almost as though Paul says, Okay, Jesus. Here we go. Show me what you want, and I'm your man. The purpose of God has to do with why he redeemed us and what he's given for us to live out for him until he returns. It's his will. It's his purpose. Joy is in knowing that your life fully belongs to Jesus. And so when you enter into an adverse situation or time or season, you, you don't become stressed in it. You, you find some sense of hope in it because you know that Jesus is with you. And because you've surrendered your life to the heart of Jesus, then Jesus is going to do something in this. You know it. And so you find hope in it. And that hope gives you joy. It gives you joy in accepting where he has you. It gives you joy accepting who he has around you. And it gives you joy in what he's given you to do in the middle of it. So rather than pushing back, you say, Jesus, what do you want me to do during this time? What do you want me to say? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to respond to people? How do you want me to respond to, to the chaos and the, 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 the craziness? Jesus, what are you doing in the middle of all of this? And, and lead me into that. Don't push back. Let the joy of the Lord be a strength to you. Don't push back. Now let's go to verse 14. So Paul goes on and he says, most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment, and they dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, he says, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Verse 17, the others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. 
What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether it's false motive or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. There it is. Paul's passion was for the cause of Christ. Paul's passion was to see souls saved, lives changed and transformed. And he says, you know, I realize that that the church has gotten bolder. Christians are now proclaiming the gospel because of my persecution. They found that if I could do what I'm doing in the middle of this with the strength of God, they could do it too. He says, and I know this, some are preaching out of a right motive. They truly want souls saved. Others are preaching, trying to cause me problems. In other words, they're they're out there preaching the gospel that Paul preaches and they want to always go back to Paul so that everybody hearing remembers Paul, the troublemaker. But Paul says, look, I really don't give a rip. The gospel is being preached. And whether it's right motive or wrong motive, they're speaking the gospel. And it's the gospel that has the power of salvation for all who believe. So he says, I'm not worried about this thing. I go back to this word, church. Actually, it's working out pretty well. The gospel is getting a lot of free publicity in this season. But you see, it's his passion, so that's our third key right there. You want to have joy in your adversity, it's going to be related to having a proper passion. When you're in an adverse moment, what are you passionate about? What drives you? What is it that's moving you? Is it anger? There's not going to be any joy there. Is it fear? There's not going to be any joy there. Is there hopelessness? There will be no joy in that adversity. Where's your passion? Remember, Paul is the one who would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation for all who believe. Paul would say he believed that in Christ, everybody could be made a new creation, born again. He believed that when people came to Christ, not only could they be changed, but they could, that the Holy Spirit would keep working in them to sanctify them through and through and transform them from glory to glory. He's the one who believed that in Christ, when they were baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit, He believed that the product of that spirit was the gifts of the spirit. In Galatians 5, he's written all of this. These are the things that flowed out of Paul's passion for Jesus. He believed that truly spirit-changed, spirit-filled people would change their culture, their community, and their world. That's what Paul was passionate about. And if it's happening chained 18 inches from a Roman guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week, then that's okay. Actually, it's working out just like Jesus needs it to. What are you passionate about? In this adversity that we we are facing right now that is just absolutely unprecedented in our nation. And it's like Paul. Paul was getting it from every side. It's like we're getting it from every side. We've got a, a pandemic. We've got protests and riots. We've got anger and hatred on all sides. We got people disconnecting from each other. 
It's happening within the body of Christ. Believers are now, look what the enemy has done. Believers now cannot even come to agreement in some elements of all of this mess. Because it's a tactic of the enemy. All of this is a part of the enemy's unleashing in order to eliminate God's purposes and plans for this nation. And it's not a coincidence that it's, that it's a, a, an election year, which is very huge for our nation in this moment. It's not a coincidence that restrictions have been put on the church, and, and I still go back to the quarantine, and my perspective was God could do something through this thing. God could shake some garbage loose. God could get the church in those 13 weeks off of the religious Sunday morning treadmill and unleash his spirit. Because you see, that's what he knew our nation would need. He knew the nation would need the church. The voice, the hands, and the face of Jesus in this moment of time. Because Jesus is the only hope. For people who are broken, hurting, who are misguided and misdirected. And I'm not trying to fall on one side or the other. I'm just telling you that wherever people fall, Jesus is the answer and the hope. In the darkness we are living in right now, He is light that shines. Who does He shine through? It's His church. In this moment of hopelessness, where does hope come from? Those who have found hope in the risen King. Where does the the peace in this nation come from? It's going to come from the gospel presentation. It's going to come from the preaching of the gospel of Jesus that brings peace into every man and woman's heart. Where's racism going to be dispelled? When Jesus can move into hearts and transform and break through. Jesus is the hope. And the hope of Jesus is you and me, his church. Where's your passion? Where's your passion during this adverse season and time that we are in right now? I have prayed like a big mug the last couple of days about how to close this thing out with the right attitude. (laughs) I'm as frustrated as anybody is. And I really found myself in wrapping this thing up this week saying, okay, I'm going to give it to them. And then I'd stop and think, but you know what? I can't give it to them like that. Speak truth, yes, but what did the Bible say? Speak it in love. Speak. So I've really, I told somebody this weekend on the phone, and we were discussing some of the chaos and even some of the, the, the conflict that's even arising between people within the church. And, and, I told him where I was headed with this teaching this weekend, and I said, but in all honesty, I can't, I can't do it the way I'm wanting to do it because it, it, it won't heal or help. It'll just hurt. But what, I, what I'm concerned with, what really, when I got to this point in preparation this week, it just, it just hit me. Where is our passion right now? Because you see, I, on social media, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm going to say probably at least 90, and I don't know everybody that I, 
am friends with on Facebook. And if you think you know everybody, you really don't know everybody that's a friend of yours on Facebook. But I would say probably 90% or more of the people I follow on Facebook and that follow me are probably Christians. Probably of that persuasion, if you will. But I'm not finding anybody talking about Jesus in the middle of all of this. Everybody's talking politics, talking policies and procedures, talking people. But in all honesty, I, I haven't seen many posting talking about Jesus. And when it comes down to it, my politics, my policies, my procedures, when it comes down to it, will not follow me into to heaven. The truth of Jesus Christ is what's going to bring my family, my friends, and others around me to heaven. And I had to even do some soul searching myself. And, and my, my daily devotions that I'm putting out there Monday through Friday on Facebook Live, if you haven't tuned into that, it's on our Victory Family Church Facebook page every, every Monday through Friday at noon. I do a little three to five minute devotion. And, and I've, I've tried to stay away from the politics. I've tried to stay away. My whole purpose was back when we weren't able to meet together was to give some sort of hope and encouragement each day. And I'm sticking with that. I'm sticking with that. I have some perspectives that I think I see in all of this mess, but, but my opinions aren't going to, to save anybody. Jesus will. Are we passionate about Jesus saving souls? This week as I was preparing, the Holy Spirit kind of dropped this in my, in my spirit. Are we content that our kids have completed college and have a good career, even though they're not in a position to go to heaven? Are we content that our grandkids are being well taken care of by our kids and we're content that they're perhaps not going to heaven? Are we content that people we love are not in a position with Christ to go to heaven? Because church, if you, if you realize anything, realize this. This adverse season we find ourselves in is a glimpse of what is to come. What is to come? Jesus says in Matthew 24, there's going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars. Nation is going to rise against nation. You know what that nation, that word nation is in the Greek? It's the word ethnos. Ethnos. People are going to rise up against each other. And this is, this is a picture of what intensifies. Jesus would go on in Matthew 24 and 25 and he would say, look, these things are, they're going to be like birth pains. I've never been in labor. Well, let me back up. I've been in the room. That's as close as I got, thankfully. But you ladies, you moms know, those contractions start out slow and minimal. Uh, that's easy for me to say, right? <laughs> 
But as it comes closer time for the delivery and the birth of that child, those things intensify and they move closer and closer together until there is this ultimate moment where they don't stop until Junior comes forth. So Jesus says, look, these things, they're going to intensify as I prepare for my return. And so what really matters most right now is that people are ready. And you know what? I believe that when, when people truly are born again, because I saw it happen to me when I quit playing church and finally got born again and filled with the Spirit of Christ, is He changes us. He changes my thinking. He changes my attitudes. He removes the blinders and the darkness and the deception. And the light comes on. He does what we can't do for others. What's our passion? I pray my passion becomes a greater yearning for, for seeing people saved and changed. Joy is found in seeing people come alive in Christ and transformed. Man, there is nothing like seeing eyes light up after they have asked Christ to come into their heart and the Spirit has descended into their spirit. That's where joy is. It's joy is in a right passion. If people are lost, he'll save them. If they're broken, he'll heal them. If they're wrong and misguided, he'll change them. If they're bound in oppression and darkness, he will free them. Jesus changes lives. I'm just going to give it to you like it is in my notes. I hate reading notes to you, but if I go any different way, I'll probably say something I shouldn't say and say it in an attitude I shouldn't say it. But beyond politics, policies, and procedures, and people, Jesus changes lives. Changed lives who get the Spirit of Christ in fullness will change our culture. Changed lives who get the mind of Christ will change this culture. Changed lives that can love unconditionally will change this culture. Changed lives that speak God's truth will change this culture. Jesus is the answer, my friends. We know that. But are we passionate about that? Do we believe it enough that if they came and chained us with an 18-inch piece of chain to a guard and took us off, that unless we would deny Christ, that's our, that's our final place. Paul would ultimately die as a prisoner preaching the gospel. Almost every one of the apostles who ran from the garden when Jesus was crucified ended up dying for preaching the gospel. And some of them some very horrible, horrible deaths. But they were passionate passionate that Jesus was their Lord and wherever he took them there they would go and while they were there they would share the gospel of Jesus Christ that people could be saved so let me wrap it up here that imperial guard that we read about earlier Paul says it's become known among the imperial guard those are the elite Roman guards those actually would be the personal guards to Caesar and his household now, Caesar wasn't a very uh, 
a very good guy, if you read history. But he thought enough of Paul to at least allow his elite soldiers to watch over Paul. Now, it usually could mean, too, that you were given the elite guards because you were considered dangerous. But Paul has the very bodyguards and security team for Caesar and Caesar's household, one of them a day, chained to him 24-7. And they rotate. And so there's going to be several different faces of elite imperial guards who come in to watch over Paul. And when you're chained 18 inches from a guy, you get to hear a Paul pray. You get to hear Paul talk about Jesus. You get to read what Paul's writing in these letters. Paul was allowed visitors from time to time. And you got to hear his conversations with his visitors. And I got to tell you, a guy who can write the letters he wrote about Jesus in the Bible has got to be talking about Jesus when people come see him. And the imperial guards are hearing the gospel. Don't turn there for time's sake, but here it is. Philippians chapter 4. Near the end of this letter, verse 22, Paul says this. He's closing up his letter. He says, all God's people here, where at Rome, send you greetings. Notice this. Especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The people that live in the palace with Caesar are saying, Hey, Paul, give a shout out to the Philippian Christians for us. Now, you know why they want to do that? Because they feel a spirit of alignment with them. You know what that spirit is? People in the household of Caesar were getting saved because the gospel was being preached. Actually, this thing's working out pretty well. And Paul, who would have never had access to Caesar's household personally, does spend time chained to the guys who do. And because he took up his cross and chose to follow Jesus years earlier, he can say, here it is. It's all good. Jesus is being preached. Your joy it's going to come from perspective. It's going to come from knowing God has a purpose for your life. And if it includes this moment, all is good. And it includes having the right passion. A passion for Jesus and for letting people know who Jesus is. 